everyone and welcome to Refugee Realities, a podcast series produced by MSU students on the forced migration and refugees course in the LSE Department of International Development. I'm Freya, an MSE Development Studies student at LSE, and I'm really grateful to have contributed to this podcast series in celebration of Refugee Week UK. Throughout this series, we will be discussing the realities faced by forcibly displaced individuals through engaging in conversations with guests from local, national and international organisations. So today I'm introducing Olivia Darby from the Wonder Foundation. Olivia co-founded the Wonder Foundation in 2009 and is currently Wonder's Chief Programmes Officer. Wonder works with partners in Europe, Asia, Africa and Latin America to empower women and girls through education and mentoring. The Wonder Foundation has also been involved with LSE and the Volunteer Centre for several years now, having won the award for Charity of the Year once and being nominated seven times. Olivia is passionate about supporting migrant women and girls to feel welcome in their new host communities, and Wonder has been supporting the empowerment of migrant women, such as through the Fatima Project in Europe. Wonder has also played a key role in supporting Ukrainian migrant women and their families since 2018, alongside their partner in Poland, Pontes. And since the invasion of Ukraine in 2022, Wanda has continued to help provide long-term support for those fleeing. Um, so welcome, Olivia. Thank you for uh, coming to speak with me today. Thank you for the invitation, Freya. And I've got a few questions. Um, so I guess I've just briefly outlined some of what Wonder does to support migrants and refugees, but I'd like to first ask you to talk more about what role Wonder plays um, in this, both domestically and internationally. Wonder didn't start as a refugee charity. We started as an education charity um, with the mission of empowering vulnerable women, and that really came from what we had seen as young people at the beginning and how we saw the amazing projects being run by local women um, were not getting the um, exposure, the support that they, they really deserved. And it was really through listening to those women in our partner projects in different countries um, and the refugee crisis that we started to really see that this was an issue that was crossing across our projects, whether it was people who were technically refugees or whether it was people who were, um, you know, in forced migration situations of different sorts, um, we really saw that it was a cross-cutting issue um, for the women in our projects. Um, and our approach to it does go back to that original um, mission that we had as through empowering women through education. Um, and that is our approach, you know, how can we help a displaced woman in, who finds herself, you know, um, without the support that she ha previously had in her country, if she was in a in a better situation and it was a kind of, you know, an, an outbreak of war or something that, that completely changed her life. Or if she was escaping a situation where she was under you know, constant persecution, you know, how do you help someone to have the tools and the support to be able to reestablish a life for herself? And as we know, women um, often come as, as caregivers. They often come as mothers. They come as big sisters. They, they come as caring for elderly parents or others. Um, 
you know, so not just seeing them as someone, an individual person who needed um, to be helped on her own, but as someone who's part of, of a community and who we needed to understand how to give her the best support within that family structure that she often came with. And so between this, our model is very much about giving education, but also giving personal support and particularly empowering women through mentoring so that women um, and girls, there are girls also in our in our projects, um, children, are able to uh, gain or regain the capacity to make long term decisions about their lives um, and to be able to put that into practice um, and you know, the, the, the experience of forced migration, the experience of becoming a refugee is generally very traumatic. So, you know, incorporating this trauma-informed practice in our work in helping them to see, you know, to, to realise that it's not just about getting, getting an education. You know, I think there's often this sense, oh, if you can just teach someone English um, or the local language, they'll be able to, you know, do whatever. Um, the effects of trauma are profound and that needs to be embedded into any support that you're giving to people so that they can truly become um, the leaders in their own lives again. Um, and if they're girls for the first time, sometimes without family members to be role models for them as, as we normally grow up with our parents showing us how to become adults. Um, so in this work, um, as you mentioned, Freya, we started working in, in Europe in 2017 with the Fatima Project, um, taking learning that we had from our UK partner, the Baytree Centre, and helping to establish new um, vulnerable migrant women support projects in Slovenia and in Poland, and um, then uh, also uh, helping to, to build up a project in Spain. Um, and that work has only grown. So we're, we're continuing that work now also in Sweden. And of course, with the Ukraine crisis, um, that's been, you know, quite a notable shift in our work in the last year. But also there are refugees who come to our vocational training pro uh, project partners in other countries, particularly in places like the Ivory Coast, where a lot of the local girls um, in the area we're working in Abidjan, in Abobo, are either displaced um, from the civil war in the Ivory Coast or from the civil war in Burkina Faso. So, um, yeah, it's a cross-cutting issue and it's one that we have been, I guess, privileged to be entrusted by our partners to, to help with. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, gosh, that was, yeah, a great overview of everything that uh, Wanda's been doing over the past, I guess, 15 or so years um, and I like that you've already touched on the gendered implications of forced migration because that's obviously something that's going to be a running theme throughout this podcast um, and you talked a little bit about how initially when you first started um, working for or with Wonder, um, how you felt that a lot of people weren't getting the exposure they needed um, and so I guess this kind of links to my next question which is what do you think at the moment are the main barriers facing wonder in achieving your kind of desired impact? Um, I think you know we know that 
the migration debate, the refugee debate is hugely politicized. Um, and again, I think, you know, this takes away from what people actually need um, and from the fact that if you have um, a migrant, a refugee, let's say in the UK, but in any other country who is there already and is highly unlikely to be deported um, for whatever reason. I mean, we see we see that in, in the UK. Um, you can say that they don't deserve support and you can say that we don't have the budget to provide support to that person. And you can take away their legal rights. Um, but none of that changes the fact that that person will not thrive without that support. And that person with an education can become economically independent. So, um, and personally independent, like people who don't thrive have negative health outcomes. They have um, negative social outcomes, like a society where everybody is, is able to do their best for themselves, for their families, is a thriving society. So when it all gets caught up in this kind of, you know, uh, political debates about what people deserve and things like that, it's we're kind of, whatever side you're on, it's shooting us all in the foot. Um, and I think it comes to my, I guess, my overarching point, um, which in programming and which is so central to, the programs that we deliver is that we have to recognize that migrants and refugees are people um, and fundamentally hopefully all of our projects take that whole person approach you know that this is not just a person who needs to learn English this is about this person being able to use English and to identify all the ways that her having more education will empower her and how she'll be able to use that education and what is appropriate for her actual needs rather than providing a, a one-size-fits-all course. Um, I am British, I have this amazing passport that allows me to do so many different things, I have so many rights for having been born in this country and none of that did I deserve. Um, you know I could just as well have been born in a country where I didn't have those rights or some are very unstable, some are very unsafe. Um, and when we categorize people in this way, we steal from the fact that they are people and they, they hurt and they feel and they dream um, or could if they had the space to do those things just the same as we do. Thank you, Olivia. Um... I think it's really clear how Wonders work to support migrants and refugees is really integrated into the whole person approach um, and how it's really linked to like Wonders overarching goal to empower migrant women and girls. Um, I want to talk specifically about um, the Ukraine crisis because this is probably the most recent um, example that is related to this discussion and we know that Wonder um, has played a huge role in this, I guess, pre-crisis, actually, um, which please feel free to talk about as well, um, but also obviously responding to the crisis. Um, so my question is, um, what was it like um, as part of Wonder to respond to this? And if, what do you think has been learned from this and could potentially be useful to know if a similar situation unfolded elsewhere? I think it came as a shock to many of us. I mean, I'm sure some of the 
more like switched on people were kind of very aware of this from long before that there was this 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 option that Russia might seriously invade. Um, when it happened, it was, I think, really a shock to us. And um, as it was to everybody, and, and it's such a huge thing, and, and what can anyone do about it? And we were lucky in a sense that we had already since 2017 been working with our local po Polish partners, that they had built um, a local expertise in integrating um, migrants in Poland. Um, you know, Poland's had a very bad reputation about welcoming migrants, which in many ways I really don't think is fair. I think um, one of, they have been extraordinarily generous to, to opening their homes the moment people started coming over the border. But we'd seen that it was a very different cultural context um, in Poland. Um, the They'd become a very homogeneous society after the end of the Second World War um, with you know, redrawing of borders and a lot of migration of Poles to other places. And when we started in 2017, there wasn't this sense that there weren't organizations integrating migrants and it wasn't really something in people's consciousness in the same way. And it took us time, um, you know, it took our Polish partners time to work with the Ukrainian community who were the majority of, of migrants at the time. Some had come from Crimea, some were um, economic migrants, um, to understand how to empower that community. Um, so when it started, we thought, you know, we actually have a sense already of how to do this. We know that there aren't many organizations that already have a sense of how to do this in Poland. And we really should do something to, to try and, and extend what we, we know and the support that we believe works well um, to people who are fleeing across the border in fear of their lives and, you know, just with a few clothes, the things that they were carrying in a backpack. So the next kind of month, for me anyway, is kind of a blur. It was very intense. And it was constantly, a constantly changing, you know, in constant contact with our Polish partners. Um, they were extraordinary. The moment we said to them, look, you know, do you think we can scale our work to meet this new challenge? Um, you know, do you have the capacity? Do you have the energy? They just said yes. They said yes without, you know, thinking about it. And, you know, they were so incredibly busy all the time, just trying to, to meet the needs of different people and kind of rolling with this very unpredictable situation. And so, I mean, for me, it was it's a time, it was exhausting. It was absolutely nonstop, but it, really being spurred on by the fact that what did I have to moan about? Like nothing. I, I might have been tired, but I had a bed to sleep in. Um, you know, we had this amazing team, wonder team around us who really put so much energy and extra energy into this, knowing that it was such an important thing. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing those insights onto your experiences. Um, 
and yeah I'd be interested to know what you think um can be learned from that situation and um or if if you think that this is not something that you can simply like transport um certain experiences from one situation to another I think one of the lessons is that you know people really have the capacity to be generous I think we sometimes look at the world and there are so many problems and we think you know we can it can have a very negative sense of you know change isn't possible the world's such a difficult place um I think with the Ukraine crisis we saw that people could be incredibly generous you know all the people in Poland opening their houses all the people in you know, people in Poland who didn't have necessarily that much themselves, really um, making space for for people. Um, all the people in this country who wanted to take in U- Ukrainians, even though it was very difficult because the Ukrainians couldn't come to the UK for such a long time in so many cases. Um, how many people wanted to give? Um, I think all of those things are are really impressive and something that we should always remember in the future um, because, you know, people do have the capacity to be really generous and to to be generous in extraordinary and quite heroic ways often. Um, I think it showed us the importance of of being daring, of responding quickly. And it also has shown us, you know, we don't typically work in kind of emerging humanitarian situations. We we do occasionally when it affects our our projects, like in the Philippines. But, um, you know, when there's a a, a massive typhoon or an earthquake or something, but in general, it's not something that we do. And you, you see again how challenging it is, but also how small organizations have a really important part to play. Um, you know, there wasn't a massive humanitarian apparatus in Poland because it's not a place where disasters tend to happen. And, you know, we were because we were there, because our local partners already had so many different connections, they were able to find spaces and to find spaces. That was another correct thing was the lorries. You know, everyone in different countries wanted to send lorries full of goods which was incredibly generous of people but then with brexit they couldn't get through the borders which was a headache um so we were lucky that we had people on the ground who could help us to negotiate those kind of things but then once the the lorries got there there needed to be a space to unload a whole lorry's worth of goods and i think it is it is that thing of you have to be really daring you have to try and do your best for people and to really recognize the fact that what would I want someone to do for me if I were in that situation? And I would want someone to do their very best for me or for my family. Um, At the same time of being considered in understanding that some forms of help are better than other forms of help and that really working together, joined up working is really powerful. One of the really exciting things actually in Ukraine was that we had from the previous project, a lot of Polish based Ukrainians or Polish Ukrainians who were in an amazing position, speaking Ukrainian, understanding the culture, um, often having family themselves still in Ukraine um, 
to be able to really make those those new new arrivals feel welcome and to really uh, negotiate. And they were such a strength to to our organization. And we've been really lucky actually to be able to uh, employ several Ukrainians as as core members of the team as the project has moved forward, which is as it should be, but has has been just a huge um improvement to the delivery really having ukrainians delivering the project for ukrainians in poland yeah it definitely sounds like um having that as part of your team is a huge asset to the impact of what you and pontes have been wanting to do to support um ukrainians in poland um so i i suppose we kind of touched on this already but we know that this crisis in particular is relatively a gendered movement of people is mostly women with their children uh, almost exclusively I think um, so I suppose um, moving on to a more theoretical conversation on like the topic of gender in the global refugee regime uh, it's often said that the existing frameworks on um, refugees is very um, androcentric um, and they continue to be so even today. I mean, if, if we just look at like the refugee convention and the definition of a refugee, it's very male centric. Um, so many argue we need a more specific focus on women and girl refugees and forced migrants due to their specific experiences. Um, and this relates obviously to wonder and your impact. Um, so my question to you is, what do you think we gain by focusing exclusively on women and girls um, in the area of migration and refugee support? To go back to um, a few years ago, there was this sense that, you know, women had this responsibility um, outside of themselves and that the fact that they weren't learning English um, was because they weren't making enough effort. Um, and after that, we did a piece of work called Women Breaking the English Barrier, which focused on migrant women in the UK from a, a vast um, number of, let's say, vulnerable migrant backgrounds. So some were refugees, some were, you know, migrants from other other backgrounds, but or other routes, but still in, in very challenging circumstances, um, very open to exploitation in different ways. In that whole conversation with them, many of those women didn't speak much English no one told me that they didn't want to learn English and in all of this conversation about you know women not making the effort to learn English and this being you know in a sense a danger so-called danger to society no one had actually looked at why these women were struggling to learn English and it was a lot of these reasons were very gendered reasons no one was looking at things like, you know, these are women who often have children or caring responsibilities, are English classes at times where they can actually attend? You know, are they in evenings where someone, other adult is at home and they can go out? Or are they during daytimes where after the school drop off and before the school pick up? Um, no one was looking at the content of courses. Um, you know, so much was geared on very kind of economic uh, empowerment of women and their ability to get a job quickly. So the English that they were learning was geared towards getting a job, not what the women really wanted, like um, 
you know, to be able to speak to their their GP, to be able to speak to their children's teacher, just to be able to be feel part of society. Um, and I think a lot of the design of these things was also not taking trauma into consideration at all. You know, you had targets where, you know, if you didn't attend, you know, 80% of sessions and you weren't on time, you'd be locked out of a classroom or you'd be told that you couldn't continue. And this doesn't take into consideration, you know, that there are mental health consequences of having, you know, why on earth have you left left a country if it wasn't because it was a challenging circumstance in some way? Um, you know, migration journeys can often be immensely traumatic and long and just continued stress, um, you know, we've known women who have been very well educated in their country, even maybe they spoke English already. And the consequence of, you know, extended trauma over many years has meant that by the time they've arrived in the UK, they've they've forgotten their English. Um, so, and then also that whole thing of how do you create a, an environment in a learning environment where women truly feel safe and valued? um so these are all kind of considerations that are so important and that um it's not that men don't also have those challenges you know we need to recognize the fact that those men also need support we can't support women women and uh, uh, prioritizing them over men um but the support needed is often different our priority is wonder is women and our priority is making sure that women feel safe and empowered. I think you really summed up so well um, the importance of considering like the priorities of the women that you're seeking to help and perhaps sort of shifting away the narrative of um, the focus on the economic and talking much more about the social and just considering um the specific experiences of each individual person and taking that into consideration when you're seeking to help them. So really, I was wondering if there's anything else you'd like to share that you haven't mentioned just about like the work you've either done like in a personal capacity or within Wonder. Something I haven't mentioned, but is something we're doing at the moment is a piece of research on out of school, vulnerable young women. Um, so this would be kind of teenage girls who have a right to be in education in the UK and are really struggling to find find a place at school. Um, and I think this is, you know, really explains this whole thing of the politicisation of everything and the fact that um, there are simply not enough resources available for this work for which they already have a legal right. We don't need to campaign for them to have legal rights to education in this country. They, they have a right. But because people don't have enough resources and because people honestly probably don't care enough, um, it is not being made easy for them to get that place that they that they have a right to. Um, and I think, it, you know, all of this comes back to this sense of what is our responsibility? You know, not everybody works in a charity and not everyone wants to. and Not everyone should. You know, we all have different strengths and different you know everyone needs to do everything to make society work well um but all of us have a role to play in making migrants welcome um you know all of us have a role to play in being 
have our having our eyes open to the needs of other people and making that effort to um spend time and to be in places where we might encounter those people it's not enough to say you know oh well you know i don't naturally meet these people you know we live in communities we live in neighborhoods which are all of our neighborhoods in london even the wealthiest ones are diverse so we you know we can easily meet people from other backgrounds and we can easily um make them welcome if we just put the time and the effort into it um and i think to listen to people um you know just to be present to be listened to listen to people and to make them feel exactly as we would want to feel if we had arrived in a new country to escape from a situation of 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 danger or hopelessness you know how would we want to be made welcome and how can we be part of of that building this this new and better um society where all of us can thrive yeah i think that really rounds up everything that you said so well throughout this conversation and just i guess the yeah the continued focus on empowering people to thrive is so um refreshing to hear because I think a lot of the narrative around migration particularly in this country but I think more generally is is quite often quite negative and it it, yeah it's been such a refreshing conversation to have such a positive perspective um, and backed up by so many amazing personal stories and experiences Um, so yeah that that's the end of the the conversation I'd like to say thank you so much for um being willing to talk to me and have this conversation it's been honestly so nice to have well thank you Freya I'm delighted to have been asked